This life-changing message comes to you from Church of the Harvest. It's our prayer that this message will inspire your life and bring hope to your future. How many of you have heard about some weird uh, sickness going around? You might not have heard about it. I don't know. <laughs> this little thing called the coronavirus is going around. Thank you for... Uh, I think somebody just said on the live stream they were home with flu-like symptoms. We thank you again for that. Thank you for, thank you for staying home and joining with us online. We are, we are certainly thankful. Um, guys, this thing has gotten a bit out of hand. It's gotten a bit out of control. You agree? It's, um, I think, unfortunately, obviously there's a real problem here. But uh, I think, unfortunately, it's also being, uh, being exploited by our media and our political campaigns and, uh, and it's being driven by fear. And um, so, you know, I was just thinking yesterday, well, I've been thinking for days, what is the Christ follower to do? What are we to do as followers of Jesus? And so, um, so I just jotted down a few things and even wrote a prayer. And I, I want us just to go through this for just a minute before we get started into the message. But the first thing I put down was don't submit to panic and fear. Don't submit to panic and fear. Guys, have y'all seen how fear has gripped our nation? It has gripped our nation. Fear has no place in, in the believer. Fear is the opposite of faith, and we have faith in our God. Fear, of, fear is a lack of trust and faith in him. We know that God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind. I just jotted down a few scriptures. I just looked up. Some of the many things the Bible says about fear. It says fear not so many times. But Isaiah 35 verse 4 says, Say unto those with fearful hearts. There's many out there with fear, fear, fearful hearts right now, isn't there? It says, Be strong, do not fear. Your Lord, your God will come. He will come with vengeance. With divine retribution, he will come to save you. What a promise. John 14, 27 says, Peace I leave you. My peace I give you. I don't give to you as the world gives. Don't let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Guys, that's a command. Do not be afraid. Isaiah 43 verse 1 says, Now, but now, this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name and you are mine. How many of you would say that you are the Lord's? So guys... I, I was thinking, you know, as far as fears go, what's the first worst possible thing that could happen in, in regards to our fear? The worst possible thing that could happen to us is that we die and go to be with Jesus, right? I don't know. In my Bible, the Apostle Paul said to die is gain. He said it's far better to go than it is to stay. Now, I believe the Lord has a purpose and a plan for us being here. And I believe that not a one of us are going to die, right? I know that our God is the healer. We've heard plenty of that. So I believe that it's important that we not allow ourselves to be crippled by fear, that we respond to this in every situation with faith. So that's the first thing I want to mention was don't submit to panic and fear. Secondly, Christians shouldn't hoard. Christians should be givers. Now, it's all right to have a spare roll of toilet paper. You may, not know, you may not know this about me, but I'm particularly fond of toilet paper. And I'm not into that cheap one-ply stuff either. Uh, man, we need that Charmin stuff with a little bear on it. That, that's, that's the stuff we need, right? 
Nothing wrong with having extra. But has anybody been to the store this week? Guys, you can see the panic and the fear just by looking at the shelves. Sean and I had to stop by Walmart for something. And every line, and there was a lot of lines actually open, which was a surprise in and of itself. But every line had people stacked up with toilet paper and paper towels and Clorox. (laughs) I just hope we don't run out of toilet paper. (laughs) Gonna be dipping into the Kleenex in the, anyway, sorry. (laughs) Guys, hoarding has no place in the body of Christ. It's just evidence of fear. And let me tell you something I was thinking. You know, we look back at the early church and I don't know about you, but I highly regard the early church and what they, their mission and what it was that they were doing during that time. But here's something you may not have thought about. There were a lot of epidemics during the early church. There was a lot. Sean and I, a couple of years ago, we got the opportunity to visit the ruins of the city of Ephesus. Awesome. I mean, we stood in places that are mentioned directly in the Bible. Uh, no doubt. And there were symbols of the early church all over the place. Do you know that that's actually, that when Paul wrote the book of Ephesians, he wrote that letter to the church of Ephesus, you realize that was actually like the third or fourth city of Ephesus? Because every time a plague would break out or an epidemic, all the rich and the governing officials would bail out of the city and they would build a new one right quick, a couple miles down the road, and they would let all those who were sick die in the old city. Well, there's a lot of ancient writings they found that indicate that much of the early church didn't leave the old cities. Even if they weren't sick, they chose to stay, and they chose to be there for their neighbor. And a lot of the early writings say that some of them contracted the diseases and died. But that whole love your neighbor as yourself thing, they took it literally. They didn't hoard and have this hold on to everything I've got and hide out and, and try to stay away. They stepped forward in faith, not in fear. And they gave their lives even to one another. So we have got, like them, we need to take this literally. We don't need to allow fear to rule us. Uh, We need to be there for those who are struggling and in fear. We need to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Next thing I want to mention is stay involved in the church, folks. Stay involved in the church. Now, the first thing I need to mention in that is these four walls are not the church. You are the church, and I am the church. Okay? Okay? We need to stay involved in each other's lives. It's not time to bail on your church family. Well, I just can't be around people. Well, you can pick up the phone. You can send a text message. You can take some food to somebody who's needy or sick or whatever it may be. Now, with that in mind, how many of you know it's also our responsibility to use wisdom? That's why I said on a video yesterday, please don't come to church with flu-like symptoms. Please don't come to church all contagious and hacking on everybody, okay? Let's, let's do some things like uh, practice personal hygiene. Let's, let's wash our hands. Let's drink lots of water. Let's, let's do the things we know that we ought to do, right? Um, and know this too. As I said yesterday, our cleaning team does a great job, and they clean before every service. And thank you for some of our cleaning team. <laughs> They do a great job in taking care of things around here. So we take reasonable precautions. But some cities are not allowing gatherings of more than 250 people right now. And even our governor in the state of Mississippi has suggested this. We're not 250 people. So we're still meeting together right now. Um, 
And, you know, we're going to continue to be there for those in need. We're going to continue to be there for our church family. And um, it's very important that we remain the church, that we don't bail out on our responsibilities before God because we're afraid of some disease or epidemic or what are they calling it? Pandemic, right? The last thing I want to mention was pray. I wonder how many of us have taken the time and to stop and pray over this situation. Do we believe that prayer actually works? Then we need to act like it. We need to do it. We need to stop. Confess Psalm 91 for protection. Let's pray for our city, pray for our nation, that we might, as it says in what, 2 Timothy, that we might live quiet and peaceful lives. That's our desire. So let's pray. So let's pray. Let's, let's all stand up on our feet together. Like I said, I just sat over the last couple of days and I wrote a prayer and I want to pray this, but I want you guys to press in for just a minute. Let's all close our eyes. Let's all bow our heads. Y'all just begin to press in for just a moment. There is sickness and fear abounding in our communities, in our nation. And guys, we have the answer. So begin to press in. Y'all begin to pray. Lord, I thank you that you are hope and you are our source. Firstly, Lord, we lift up those that are sick. We lift up those that are in fear. We lift up those who are being financially impacted because of the closings and different things that are going on in our nation right now. And we pray, Lord, for healing and for grace in the name of Jesus. Lord, we pray for our leaders, that you would fill them with wisdom, that they would have the grace to know what to do and where to go and how to respond in a Christ-like manner in our nation today in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray that you would help them to discern the real facts and to make wise choices. I just come against the enemy that's trying to spread panic and fear, and we rebuke you in the name of Jesus. Especially within God's people. You have no right, you have no place. We command you to go in the name of Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that you are so much bigger than this. You are so much bigger than a virus. You're so much bigger than anything that we will ever face. You're so much bigger than the weakness that our nation seems to be experiencing right now. Lord, you have given the cure for diseases in the past, and we are asking for the cure to this disease right now in Jesus' name. That you will quicken it to someone in the medical field or whatever it may be in the name of Jesus. Lord, with that, we ask and lift up our medical community, our doctors and our nurses. Lord, give them strength and give them wisdom. And we thank you, Lord, that this is our opportunity to be the church. To be a godly example. To love our neighbor as ourself. And to bring grace to our community. Lord, we give ourselves away and we lay our lives down for one another. That our world will see you through that love in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray that even through this situation, that many will declare Jesus as their Lord and Savior. I thank you, Lord, that the church is not defined as a building. We take responsibility for being the church of Jesus Christ. We are the church, and evil will not prevail against us. We reject the spirit of fear, and we declare that, God, you are our hope. Thank you for the faith to move forward into what you have. We give you all the glory, the honor, and the praise. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. 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 You can be seated. Let me say one more thing. 
before uh, I leave this topic. Guys, we're believing for the best, okay? Now, I don't know about you, I, this has been going on for weeks, but this last week, things kind of went into a tailspin. Things have kind of gotten crazy. And um, I'll be honest with you, I don't know what the next week holds, right? Don't know what things are going to look like in our nation over the next week or two or, or even more than that. We will continue to meet here together on Sunday morning as long as we have a peace to do so. Um, if our government asks us to take a, take a period of time to, to stop for safety's sake, guys, we're going to do so. Okay? We are the church. It's not four walls. We will do so for safety's sake and to honor them. I know that some places, like I said, they've asked for not have assemblies more than 250 or more. I've got a cousin in North Carolina right now, and they're asking that nobody assemble in groups of more than 50. Okay? That would affect us. But guys, we will continue to be the church. And let me say that in doing so, if, we, if it came to that measure, we are not submitting to fear. I was looking, I watched part of the service from Gateway Church last night, Pastor Robert Morris. Y'all know that they did not, they canceled their services and they did a live stream service that uh, they encouraged everybody to watch online. They were not submitted to fear, but I've seen him catch some flack for that. People who said, no, they're just not, they're just not stepping out in faith. Guys, there's a place where you use wisdom and we've got to trust our medical community at some point. And we have got to step forth and say, you know what? We don't want to contribute to the problem. And let me say something I heard Robert Morris say. One more death is too many. One more death is too many. So, uh, so just be ready. Guys, we're going to step forward in faith and wisdom. And we're going to be led by the Spirit. And we're going to believe for a cure for this thing. We're going to believe for quick resolution to it in Jesus' name. Are you all in agreement? Amen. All right, let's move on. Let's move on. So if this is your first time at Harvest, again, I want to welcome you. Thank you for being here. We are so excited that you are able to join us this morning. We are in the sixth week of a series called, what? The Story. Everybody, our children, our youth, our young adults, everybody is getting in on the action, doing this series together. Thank you for all of you. We had more people this week that posted pictures with their meals uh, on, the, on the Facebook page online, and we, uh, we thank you for that. I love seeing the Saldano family in their masks. That was, that was really great. Thank you guys for that. <laughs> I was going to show some pictures, but we're running short on time. Maybe next week we'll show a few pictures uh, that you guys have posted. But this week in the story, this week is called, this is chapter 6, and it is called The Wandering. The children of Israel are wandering in the wilderness. How many of you have ever wandered in the wilderness before? Okay, y'all do realize I'm not talking about literally, right? How many of you have ever been in the wilderness in your life before? You felt alone. Children of Israel wandering in the wilderness. How many of you love a good road trip? Good road trip. Eh, it all depends as far as I'm concerned. I've done a lot of youth group road trips. How many of you have ever been in a van full of teenage boys? They're playing games like name that smell. Nah, nah, I'd rather bail out on that one. I always chose to drive the girls rather than the guys. I'll tell you what. How many of you have ever experienced an adventure on a road trip? Something happens. Gosh, I remember the youth trip one time when we had a flat tire on the side of the road on the way to Youth America. We had just got new tires put on, went under there to get the spare, and the spare was gone. 
we had the new tires put on. I told them to check the spare. Well, they took it out and didn't put it back. That's great being in, on, the, on the interstate near Ozark, Arkansas, middle of nowhere with a flat tire and it's 90-some degrees outside. Lord, have mercy. How many of you love traveling with a carload of kids? How about, how about kids in diapers? <laughs> you, know, you know that smell. Lord. And then they get potty trained, and then they got to go potty all the time. I go potty. Really, I think they just want out of their chair, out of their seat, out of their car seat. They got to go. Guys, we used to. Aaron's back there on the camera. I'll tell about Aaron. How I mean, you know when it's time for a quick potty break? Boys are easier than girls. We would drive sometimes in the middle of the night trying to get them to sleep most of the time. Um, we used to. Aaron had to go. Man, we would pull over, slide the van door open, and just hold him out the door. On the, side, on the side of the interstate. Just go. Just go. You got to touch his feet to the ground. <laughs> can't, can't do it hanging. <laughs> oh, we did that this year? I don't remember that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. I vaguely remember that. Of course, the kids get older, and then they tend to argue, you're on my side, or I'm, I'm hungry, I'm thirsty, or what's the famous words? Are we there yet? Now, how many of you know that you can get in trouble on the road if you don't follow the rules? How many of you have ever gotten pulled over and given a ticket? Some of y'all are lying. Some of y'all need to hold up both arms and a couple of fingers. Don't you love it when those blue lights come on behind you? What about the times when the blue lights come on behind you and you look down and you're like, I'm speeding and your heart sinks and you, start, you just start to pull over and then they zip by you and get somebody else. You're like, whoo. Man, gosh. Guys, in my first five years driving, I got more tickets. I don't know why they let me keep driving. It was, it was, it was ridiculous. And I wasn't one of these people that got warning. You ever met the person who's like, yeah, I've gotten three speeding tickets in my life, but I always get a warning. You're like, what is a warning? Do they even really do that? I don't even know what a warning is. As I got, Sean and I, our, our first youth pastor, we were pastoring a little church in Arlington, Texas, youth pastoring, and, and um, I was late for church one morning. I left Christ for the Nation's campus, and man, I was flying. And, man, I got pulled over in sight of the church on Sunday morning. Church members driving by <laughs> with an officer at the door. God, that's the worst. <laughs> it's bad. I also didn't know that if you have a commercial driver's license, you get too many tickets within a certain period of time, they take your license. I found that out, just so you know. I did. I lost my, lost my license one time for three months. With that said... I decided that I've given the state enough of my money, and I will leave that to you guys now. I haven't gotten a ticket in years. But you can get in trouble if you don't follow the rules when you're on the road, right? Today we're in chapter 6 of the story, and the children of Israel are on a road trip. And on this trip, they gripe, and they complain, and they whine, and they get themselves in trouble, don't they? And this road trip began all the way back with Father Abraham. 
Let's put the timeline up on the screen real quick. How many of you remember the timeline? It really began all the way back with Abraham. Now we're right between Moses and Joshua. Now God promised Abraham that his offspring would one day inherit the land of Canaan, the land flown of milk and honey. And now, 645 years later, Moses is the one leading this trip. And they're following him. And they've come out of Egypt, and they've come out of slavery. They've come across the Red Sea. They've crossed the desert of Sinai. And they've come to a city called Kadesh Barnea. And anybody got their copy of the story on them? If you turn, open the cover, put up the map real quick. On the inside of the front cover, there's a map. We've looked at this before. And you can see Egypt over here. They were on the other side of the Nile. And they've come across Egypt. They've come across the desert of Sinai. And they've come to the city of Kadesh Barnea. Everybody see it? So they've come to Kadesh Barnea. They've been on this road trip. And instead of three or four kids in the back seat, they've got one to three million people. Can you only imagine what that had to have been like? One to three million people. And they're griping and complaining. I'm hungry. I'm thirsty. Or what's the famous words? Are we there yet? Well, guys, here's the reality. Once they arrived at Kadesh Barnea, they were pretty much there. You see, the land of Canaan is everything directly north of the city. So when they said, are we there yet? Moses said, yeah, we're pretty much there. And that's where we find ourselves in today's chapter. They were right on the verge of the promised land. And then God speaks to Moses. And we're going to read from Numbers today from chapter 13 and 14 if you have your Bible. <clears throat> if not, you can follow along in the note sheet in your service guide. You can follow along on the YouVersion Bible app or you can follow along on the screen. Numbers chapter 13, verses 1 and 2. And the Lord said to Moses, now here they are at Kadesh Barnea, Send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. From each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. So remember, there's 12 tribes of Israel, right? These are the descendants of the son of Jacob, who would later be known as what? Israel. And so God tells Moses, he says, hang tight in Kadesh Barnea, hang there with the people, but send one leader from each of the tribes to explore the land that I'm giving you so that you know what to expect. So if we go on down to verse 25, Numbers 13, verse 25, we're going to read this 25 to verse 33. Hang with me for a minute. It says, remember the spies have just gone into the land, the 12 spies. At the end of 40 days, they returned from exploring the land. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. Then they gave Moses this account. We went into the land which you sent us and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. What's the next word? But the people who live there are powerful. And their cities are fortified and large. We even saw the sons of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, Jebusites, and the Amorites live in the hill country. 
and the Canaanites living near the sea along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone with him said, We can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, The land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there were of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. This is the giants. We seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we look the same to them. So guys, they've been gone for 40 days, and they've come back to give this report to Moses. And they tell him that the land is truly awesome, that it truly flows with milk and honey. In fact, the Bible tells us they brought back a cluster of grapes that was so big it took two men to carry it. That's a big old cluster of grapes. But they said, they basically said, we've got a problem. There are people who are living there, and they like their land just fine. And there's a lot of them, and some of them are giants. So even though the land is awesome... We can't recommend going in and taking it at this time, right? Then we know that Caleb, who was one of the 12 spies, Caleb speaks up. It says that he silences the people. And what were the words he said? He said, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But of the 11 other spies, only one sided with him. Who was it? Joshua. Only Joshua sided with Caleb. The other 10 men said, there is no way we can pull this off. It's not safe. And it goes so far as to say that they began spreading a bad report amongst the people of Israel. They began spreading this stuff among the people, planting little seeds of doubt everywhere. So the next thing that happens is we find that Moses and Aaron, it says that they fall face down on the ground. And it says that Joshua and Caleb tore their clothes in frustration now, we know this wasn't a weird thing. This is something they did back then, commonplace. They would rip their clothes out of frustration. So Caleb and Joshua then addressed the people. So if you go to chapter 14, go over a chapter, and go down to verse 8. Joshua and Caleb addressed the people and say, If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into the land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and he will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord. And do not be afraid of the people of the land, because we will devour them. Remember, they just, the other spies just said the land devours us. Joshua and Caleb said, we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of them. Now, you know what I got thinking in this? Moses had given up everything for these people. He was 80 years old when he gave up his life to go back to Egypt. And he delivers the people out of slavery. He gets them across the Red Sea. He takes them across the desert. He obeys God and brings them the law. And now he's begging them to keep moving forward into what God has called them to. And how do they respond? Look at verse 10, next verse. But the whole assembly talked about stoning them. 
Now look, they're ready to kill Moses, Aaron, Joshua, and Caleb. That's them pretty loud and clear saying, we're not going, right? That's a pretty clear indication their decision is no. We're not doing it. And let me tell you, this is where Israel made their wrong turn. This is where things changed. God told them, put the, put the map back up on the screen real quick. They've come across from Egypt. They've come across here, heading east. And God tells them at Kadesh Barnea that they're to take a left and go north. Instead, they took a right. How many of you have ever taken a right when God said take a left? This is where the nation of Israel decided not to trust God's strength over the, tr- over the strength of the giants in Canaan. And everything began to change. Look, they knew where it was they were going. They didn't need a GPS. Remember we talked about God's upper story? They had God. And remember, God can see the story from beginning to end, right? He sees everything in between. And he had told them where to go. But the people responded in fear, and they said no, and they refused to make that turn at Kadesh Barnea. At this point, their journey takes a big detour, doesn't it? This is where, if they'd had a GPS, it would have said, recalculating. This is where things had to be recalculated. Because of their lack of trust in God, the children of Israel would not take a left at Kadesh Barnea. Instead, they would take a right and head south again, back into the wilderness, deep into the wilderness. And this is where they would stay for the next 40 years, right? If you go on down in chapter 14, go to verse 28. Verse 28, God is speaking to Moses. And this is what God says. So tell them this. Tell them. As surely as I live, declares the Lord, I will do the very thing I heard you say. You ever heard somebody say, be careful what you wish for? I will do the very thing I heard you say. In this wilderness, your bodies will fall. Every one of you, 20 years old or older, 20 years old or more, who was counted in the census and who has grumbled against me, not one of you will enter in the land that, what's it say? I swore with uplifted hand to make your home. Except for Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, son of Nun. As for your children that you said would be taken as plunder, I will bring them in to enjoy the land that you have rejected. But as for you, your bodies will fall in this wilderness. Your children will be shepherds here for 40 years, suffering for your unfaithfulness, until the last of your bodies lies in the wilderness. For 40 years, one For each of the 40 days you explored the land, you will suffer for your sins, and you will know what it is like to have me against you. Everybody say, yikes. Man. Now, let me say this. I looked that up because here's my thought. God wasn't really against them. God is the reason they survived in the wilderness. It says that their clothes and their shoes didn't wear out for 40 years. When they were hungry, he brought food. When he was thirsty, they brought, he brought water. God took care of them. It doesn't appear to me as we read on over the next few weeks that God is working against them. No, they were working against God. 
okay? And I looked it up. When it says, when it says right there at the end, you will know it is like to have me against you, there's another, a couple other versions. One of them says, you will know it is like to know my opposition. One says, you will know it is like to oppose me. Basically saying, you're going to know what it's like to walk contrary to my will. You're gonna, you are going to suffer because you're not flowing with my will and going in my direction. Does that make sense? So what does this have to do with our lives today? I'm going to give you three things. Like I say, this is in your notes. You can follow along in your note sheet. To successfully navigate this life, i got three things for you. Number one is get directions and follow them. How many of you struggle with directions? I know there's got to be somebody. Get directions and follow them. Guys, you've got to make sure that your life is headed in the right direction. To do so, we've got to learn to stop and ask. In this case, God, right? Ask God for direction. And we're not just asking him just how to get there, but where even there is. How many of you have been at that place in your life? You're saying, God, where is it that I'm supposed to go? What is it I'm supposed to do? This is a basic principle of the Christian life, is knowing God's will for your life. This is what I've talked about for weeks, what my dad has talked about for weeks, what it means to align our lower story with his upper story, to align our will with his will. It's about asking God, what is your will for my life? And how do you know that God will honor you if he sees a willingness in you to move in the direction that he's pointing you in? God will honor you and he will be there for you and you'll find his favor and his grace. Here's the thing. Israel knew God's direction for them. They knew where God was leading them. Following it was the next major step. Put up the timeline again real quick, if you would. God's will, God's story, started at creation, right? And his story encompasses everything that goes all the way to the end. It's hard to read on the screen, I know, but all the way to eternity at the end. This is where anybody who puts their faith in Jesus will be saved and will be reunited with the Lord once again in communion with him in a perfect garden. Basically, the story comes full circle. The story ends where it begins. God wins and everything is restored by the end, right? This is God's will from the beginning, from the garden, all the way, all the way to the end. All the stories in between, including us, everybody see where it says us? All the stories in between and that of the children of Israel are moving toward the same destination, God's will. So God told them his will. And let me show you what it is in, in Numbers chapter 13 again, going back to chapter chapter 13. We already read verses 1 and 2. I want to look at it again. It says, The Lord said to Moses, Send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. Everybody say, I am giving. I am giving. Do you see here that God is expressing his will? He's already expressed it over and over again. But this is as they're going to go across and explore the land. He says, the land that I am giving to the Israelites. God has told the children of Israel where to go. And guess what? God's told us where to go as well. God has revealed his will to us, just like he revealed his will to Moses, just like he revealed his will to the children of Israel. God has revealed his will to us. Where do we find it? In the word, in the story. His will is spelled out. Let me give you some examples. Can I give you some? So God's will. In the area of marriage and family, the Word of God says, 
God says, it's my will that you stay sexually pure until the marriage covenant. Marriage covenant between a man and a woman. It's the only place for sexuality to be expressed, right? And some would say, well, I I just can't believe that. That's old-fashioned. That can't possibly be for me. That God's just trying to keep me from, no, he's not. He's trying to keep you from heartache. He's trying to keep you from the curse. He's trying to keep you from all kinds of negative things. He's saving you for the ultimate joy. The issue is, will you follow God's direction? Will you take a left turn when God says take a left turn? Or are you going to take a right turn and do your own thing? Example, God says, it's not my will that you divorce. As a matter of fact, the Bible says, God says, I hate divorce. Now, no condemnation to anybody who's experienced it. You know better than anybody else how difficult and painful divorce can be. But God is basically saying there that while you're married, you need to take steps to nurture that relationship. He says, while you're married, don't let your marriage relationship get out of balance. He says, humble yourself. How many of you know a good marriage takes humility? He tells us to humble ourselves, commit to grow spiritually and be like Jesus to help prevent divorce later. Are you going to take a left turn? Are you going to take a right turn? Example, God says, it's my will that you raise your children in the ways of the Lord, right? Congratulations. Some of you are here today and your children are back there in class and you read the story with them this week and you're a godly example before them. Then you're walking in that. You're demonstrating that raising your children in the ways of the Lord is about more than just saying it, saying I'm a Christian, saying that I love Jesus. It's about action. It's about being part of a spiritual community. It's about seeking God outside of Sunday morning, right? It doesn't mean you're perfect, but it means your children see your victories and they see your struggles. They see your fight to be in the will of God. Even when you stumble, you talk to them about it. You let them see how much you love the Lord and how much you want to walk in his perfect will for your life. Being transparent, modeling God's will for them. God said, it says in his word, I want you to observe the Sabbath. I want you to have a Sabbath rest. How many of you know that we can't run 24-7 nonstop? Our bodies have to take a break or they get burnt out, don't they? How many of you have been burnt out before? Just too much going on. God says that we weren't designed for that. He tells us that we can work for six days, but then we need to take it to the time to stop and to rest in him and to get recharged in him. If we do that, we'll be blessed. If we don't, we're going to find ourselves burnt out. We're going to find ourselves in the wilderness. And it'll be because we didn't make that left turn at Kadesh Barnea into God's will. Instead, we chose to go our own direction and do our own thing. God says in the area of finances, he says a lot actually. He says be careful with debt, doesn't he? Doesn't the Bible say that? Don't dig yourself into too much debt because you become what? A slave to the lender. You know if you get yourself too far in debt, some of us have been there before. You're a slave to the lender. You're in Egypt with your, as far as your finances go, like the children of Israel, right? Secondly, God said, I want you to be satisfied with me, not with things. If we're satisfied with the Lord and not with stuff, we won't be tempted to go into debt to get things that don't satisfy, right? Thirdly, God said, I want the first fruits of everything that I've given you. Every cent that you make, everything that you have, I want you to give the first portion back to me. That is my will. 
Do you want to be in the wilderness in your finances or do you want to be in the promised land in your finances? Is this making sense? Am I making a point? When we fail to turn at Kadesh Barnea like the children of Israel did, then we put ourselves in danger of wandering unnecessarily in the wilderness. I don't know about you, but I don't want to wander unnecessarily in the wilderness. I don't want to waste my years in the desert. Now, how many of you know that sometimes as we pursue God's will, we have to walk through a wilderness period in our life? Jesus walked in the wilderness, didn't he? For a period of time. But in doing so, we learn to trust him. But if it's not God's will for me to be there, I don't want to be there for one minute. I want to spend my life in the land flowing of milk and honey. So that's the first thing I want to mention was get directions and follow them. Second thing, if we want to successfully navigate this life, I talked about this when we first started. We have to reject fear. Number two, reject fear. Guys, Israel knew the will of God. So why didn't they go in? Because they were afraid, right? They were afraid. It was fear that kept them from heading north. There were giants in the land. And they couldn't see from their lower story perspective, right? They couldn't see how they could possibly overcome the giants in their own strength. So they made the decision to stay in the wilderness instead. Here's the principle, and this is in your, on your note sheet. If it is God's will, he will make a way. Joshua and Caleb said it. If God is with us, if God is for us, he will make a way. God clearly had told them, I'm giving this to you. He basically said, if you'll just head there, I'll take care of the rest. Instead, they chose to submit themselves to fear. Remember they said, um, Joshua and Caleb said in chapter 14, verse 9, he said, And do not be afraid of the people of the land, because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Guys, God is bigger than any giant that you will ever face. He will devour them if you'll just move forward in the direction that he's pointing in. The cross has the final word. It's bigger than any problem. When we respond in fear, we're declaring that the problem is bigger than our God is. Do you, you see the issue? When we respond in fear toward the coronavirus, we're declaring that it's bigger than our God is. So back to the area of giving for a minute. You might say, well, I'm on a tight budget. I live paycheck to paycheck. There's just nothing left after I pay all the bills. I'm afraid that if I gave, I, I gave any money away, I'm afraid that everything would, would fall apart. It's just not wisdom. I just can't do that. Well, here's what God says. God says, I don't want your leftovers anyway. God says, I want the first. He says, I want the cut before you pay the bills. The world looks at that and says, that's crazy. That's nuts. It makes no earthly sense. And guys, you're standing at the border at Kadesh Barnea, trying to make a decision whether to go left or right. God's pointing you to the left. And you're saying, it makes no sense. And he's saying, take a left. Take a left. See, God says, he goes so far into this as saying, you can even test me in this. Test me. Try me. We're not anyway, in any other area, walk of life, are we allowed to test God. But right here is the one area where God says, test me in it. 
God says, test me and see if I won't open the floodgates of heaven and pour out blessing unto you. Did anyone want to see God open up the floodgates of heaven on your behalf? I sure do. Then you got to turn left at Kadesh Barnea and step into his will and give him the first cut of what comes in. Return to him, right? Fear will keep you from your promised land. Fear will keep you from accomplishing God's will for your life. It'll rob you of your purpose. So what I tell you, get directions and follow them. Number two, reject fear. And number three, remember those on the road trip with you. Remember those on the trip with you. You remember when God laid down the consequences for their failure moving into the land, and he said in um, chapter 14, verse 33, he said, your children will be shepherds here for 40 years, suffering for your unfaithfulness. Guys, was it the children's fault? Not at all. But how many of you know that sometimes our children do suffer because of our decisions? And here's the thing. The children had already been through a lot. These children that were alive during this time, most of them were born into slavery in Egypt. It had only been like a year since God had delivered them from slavery. They knew what it was like to be born into slavery in Egypt. They had been raised in it. And now they had lived for a year in the desert, in the wilderness. They were nomads. And here they were at a point where they were literally days or months away from living in their own land, in their own houses, in safety. If they had just if their parents had just made the decision to follow God's will and take a left and head north at Kadesh Barnea. The children could have been there. It would have been all over with. This was God's provision for them. But because the parents said no to going in God's direction, the children would spend the rest of their childhood and much of their adulthood in the wilderness. It's tough, isn't it? As our, children, our, our problems, our decisions don't just affect us. They affect those around us. I don't want to wander in the wilderness, and I don't, want to, I don't want to be responsible for dragging other people into the wilderness because I didn't have the courage to stand up to fear and because I wouldn't trust God. So here's the point. Which way do we go at Kadesh Barnea? Take that left and head north into God's perfect will. We've got to take a left at Kadesh Barnea to head into the promised land, the place of his will for our lives. And what do we find? Forty years go by that they live in the wilderness, right? And we'll talk some about that a little bit next week as we wrap it up and see them coming out of the wilderness. But 40 years later, we see the grace of God. God's not against them. God's to totally for them. And he's going to accomplish his will in their lives. They find themselves, all those that are 20 years and older, have died in the wilderness. And he's now giving their grown children the opportunity to decide for themselves what they will do. They find themselves back at Kadesh Barnea. Not literally. It was their own Kadesh Barnea. In, in, in actuality, they were sitting at the edge of the Jordan River, right, looking across to Jericho. And they had to make a decision what they were going to do, right? <clears throat> we know that... Um, 
it was time for them to take another left turn and head across the river and take Jericho and go into the promised land. But we know that Moses had passed away in the wilderness. And who's in charge now? Joshua's in charge now. The last time under the leadership of Moses, they had sent in 20 spies to explore the land. And two came back saying that we can certainly do this, being Joshua and Caleb. But now it's Joshua's turn to lead. How many spies does he send in? Two. He sends in two spies to explore the land. And they came back, and they offered a very different report. Actually, it was similar in some ways. They came back and said, the land is still awesome. The land is certainly flowing in milk and honey. There's more people now than there were 40 years ago. The giants are probably bigger than what our parents said they were. But they didn't end there. They said, God will certainly do it for us. And they said yes, and they turned left and crossed the Jordan River and began marching around the city of Jericho. And they went into God's land of promise, the land that is of living in the middle of God's will for your life. How many of you want to find yourself in the promised land? Let's all stand up together. Guys, this is how I want to live. I want to live in God's perfect will for my life. If God says stop, I want to stop. If he says take a left, I want to take a left. If he says rush forward, I want to rush forward. How many of you would say the same? I don't want to spend one day in the wilderness that I'm not called to spend there. I want to spend my life in the promised land, not only for me, but for my children and for all of you. I know that you want the same. Let's bow our heads together. Lord, what a wonderful example. I thank you that you haven't just told us what to do. You have given us your word. You've gone before us and you've laid everything out so that it's simple. And God, we choose to learn from the children of Israel and from their example. We choose that we're not going to spend one day in the wilderness that we're not called to spend there. We are going to obey your word and we're going to step into your perfect will for our lives. And we are going to go right on into that promised land that you've called us to in every area of our life. Whether it's our marriage or our relationship, our finances, or even just taking a Sabbath rest in our life. We choose, God, that we're going to follow your will for our life. Lord, we thank you for your word. What a precious gift you've given us in the word of God. The most powerful force in the universe. God, we choose to follow it to the end. With that said, if you're here or watching online, and we've got a lot of people watching online this morning. If you're here and you do, don't know Jesus, you haven't surrendered your life to him, that's your first choice to make. And that's where you find yourself right here in this moment. You're standing at Kadesh Barnea, and God is saying, turn left and follow me. And you may not have made that decision yet. Or maybe you've only made that decision in word only. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I know, I, I love Jesus, I follow Jesus. But you actually haven't made that left turn. You haven't surrendered your will and your way and your dreams and your desires. You haven't surrendered them to him. Then that's your Kadesh Barnea today. I plead with you. 
make a left turn. You've got a God standing there that loves you so much. So much. That he gave his only son as a perfect lamb to die in your place. To pay the price for your sin and your guilt and your shame and your sickness and your disease and all those other foul things that have no place in God's people. God sent his son to lay down his life for you. Now he stands there with open arms and he pleads with you to come. With every head bowed, if that's you, and you would say, my life is not surrendered to Jesus today. I want you to lift your hand so I can see. Who would say I need to surrender my life to Jesus? All right. You may be watching online. If that's you, I just ask you to join in with us. We're going to pray a simple prayer. And the Bible says that if you mean it with all your heart, look, it can't just be words. This is an act of your will. You're turning away from your sin. You're repenting and turning away from your sin and choosing that you're going to follow him all the days of your life. If you really mean it with all your heart, the Bible says that all things become new. The old passes away. That you become a new creation. God doesn't just give your spirit a makeover. He gets your dirty, dead spirit and he gives you a brand new one full of life and passion and love for him. When you surrender your life to him, you can know that you've got the creator of the universe walking with you through thick and thin, through the good times, through the bad times, through coronavirus times. God doesn't abandon you. He doesn't leave you. He is faithful to the end. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus, my spotless lamb that you gave for me. I thank you, Jesus, for laying down your life on my behalf. So today, I repent of my sin. I repent for living my life according to my will. I repent of my selfishness. I repent for waiting so long to come to you. Today I come to you with arms wide open and I say, Jesus, you are my Lord. You are my savior. I'll follow you all the days of my life. I believe that you are the son of the living God, that you died on the cross for me and you rose again. And today, you're my advocate. You're my high priest. You stand beside God's throne. And your blood calls me innocent, clean, and free, even before the accuser. Holy Spirit, fill me and empower me to be everything you've called me to be. And know that I will follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Y'all give the Lord a hand this morning. If you'd like to get more information about resources from Church of the Harvest, please check out our website at midsouthharvest.org. You may also contact us by phone 
at 662-890-1573 or toll free at 866-383-8277. I'm a sinner.